You're listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. Part of the foundation, really, of a healthy biblical church is what it believes concerning core doctrines, core Christian doctrines. Oftentimes, a lot of what a church believes is really what she will become. So this morning, I want to begin to kind of start looking at what I'm calling some of the more common Christian doctrines, and I want to share with you what we believe here at Praise Community Church and why it is important When we talk about here's what we believe, we think it's also important for us to understand why we believe what it is we say we believe. You uh, believe what you believe, I mean, it definitely makes a difference in your walk and your relationship with God, right? I mean, amen to that. If you were to visit Israel, and maybe some of you in this room, you've already uh, done that, one of the most impressive architectural sites there is called the Dome of the Rock. It is kind of renowned as a masterpiece in the Islamic uh, architectural cultural. And it was erected in 691 AD, and they built it there really to kind of enshrine the rock where it is traditionally believed that Abraham offered up uh, his son Isaac. To this day, it is probably the most distinctive and beautiful monument in all of Jerusalem. If you were to look at pictures, and I've got some pictures up there on the screen, um, one of the things you'll notice is kind of the, the, the geometry of the building. It is a dome that is really kind of supported by an octagon-shaped building. And they did that purposely because they wanted the building to kind of represent or to symbolize that transition from earth to heaven. But the building also is an Islamic symbol stating that Islam is the supreme And it is the true and only religion and that they alone only worship the true God. Now enshrined on the, one of the places there in the building, there are many, many uh, scriptures that are are just embedded there uh, throughout the building. There is a particular place there where one of the Quranic inscriptions which decorate the building you'll find these words. And it says, people of the book, and they're talking about the Quran there, do not transgress the bounds of your religion. Speak nothing but truth about Allah, the Messiah. Jesus, the son of Mary, was no more than Allah's apostle and his word which he conveyed to Mary, a spirit from him. So believe in Allah and his apostles and do not say three Forbear it, and it shall be better for you. Allah is but one God. Allah forbid that he should have a son. And there it is in the Quran uh, 4171. That inscription right there is a direct attack, and it is a denial of what I would call one of the most important doctrines taught in all of the Christian faith, and that is the doctrine of the Trinity. The Trinity is really one of the reasons that I will give when people will ask, well, don't we just all worship the same God? 
I mean, the God that Islam worships and the Christian God we worship, they're really one in the same, aren't they? And the answer is an emphatic no. They are not the same. They're not even close. I mean, they don't, they're, they're, the contrast between the two, you could not get further of a contrast between those two. The doctrine of the Trinity, it's just one of the many beliefs that clearly separate the two belief systems of Islam and Christianity. And Islam is growing in this country. It's growing around the world. People need to understand there is an ideology behind Islam that really is in, in contrast and it is in opposition to everything the Bible teaches and everything that God reveals himself to be. Now, you can argue that neither Christianity or Islam are the one true religion, but you cannot say that they are the same God or belief system, even if you just understood the viewpoints of the two on the topic of the Trinity. You can say Islam and Christianity, they're both false, but you cannot intellectually look at both of those belief systems and say Islam and Christianity, they're equally true. The belief of Islam says Allah is just one person, not three. And again, you go back and look at that inscription. Muhammad, he understood at least in part the teaching of the Trinity because he acknowledges the three and he denies it. So he, he knew he was familiar with the Christian teaching at that time concerning the Trinity. Christianity says Jehovah is one God who has revealed himself in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are all of the same essence, and they are completely unified in thought, plan, and purpose. Islam will say, and they teach, Jesus is nothing more than an apostle of Allah. Whereas Paul says in Colossians 1.15, says Jesus, he is the visible image of the invisible God. That's who Jesus is. Islam says that, um, that, that Jesus really is kind of just nothing more than a prophet. And he's kind of lower in terms of status than even Muhammad is. But Paul says in Colossians 2.9, regarding Jesus Christ, he says, For in Christ dwells all of the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Try to wrap your mind around that. This statement by Paul concerning, again, the nature and the person of Jesus Christ, I mean, it is a stark contrast to how the Quran portrays Jesus. Again, they cannot both be equally true. They can, they can both be equally false, but they cannot both be equally true. So as a foundation for this message, let me just share with you three great truths about God. And I believe all of these are necessary to know God, none of which can be denied if you're pursuing an intimate, saving relationship with God. First one is, there is one God, eternal and indivisible. This one God is three persons, each distinct from the other. Each person is 
fully God, co-equal, co-existent, and co-eternal. Now, admittedly, the doctrine of the Trinity, I will be upfront with you and honest with you, it is probably one of the greatest mysteries to understand in the Christian faith. But I believe it is also one of the uh, greatest distinctive characteristics of Christianity because there is no other religion in the history of the world, past, present, or future, that present themselves, reveal themselves as a Trinitarian religion. I mean, Judaism, Islam, Jehovah Witnesses, Unitarians are just a few who deny the doctrine of the Trinity. Now, I will grant you the, the word Trinity is not found anywhere in the Bible, but the underpinning truths of the Trinity are found throughout the Bible. 2 Corinthians 13, 14, Paul's ending his letter there, and he says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. There you see, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and his Spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. There again, you see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit there in Scripture, you find all three of those co-equal, co-eternal, co-existent. And each member unified in their distinctive roles and purposes within the Godhead. Even Jesus referred to the concept of the Trinity. In Matthew 28, verse 19, as a part of the Great Commission, he said, Go ye therefore into all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So again, while the Bible itself never uses that term Trinity, it is from Scripture verses like those that I have mentioned and others that the doctrine concerning the Trinity uh, comes from. So if you're going to know the God of the Bible, you've got to come to know him as he reveals himself to us. Not the way you would like to perceive God, but just the way God reveals himself uh, to us. Now I'm going to do today what unfortunately maybe too many pastors and preachers uh, do too often. I'm going to try to explain something to you this morning that in a sense is inexplicable and incomprehensible. Okay? But it's Sunday morning, right? We can, we, can, we can bite off a pretty big chunk here this morning, right? Again, the reason the Trinity is such a mystery is because it is about God. And there are depths, there are mysteries to God that are infinite. They, they are unsearchable. There is no end to who God is. There's no end to his nature, no end to his character, no end to his anything. Anything about God, there is no end to any of that. That's why it's such a mystery. That's why it's inexplicable. It's incomprehensible. There's a lot we know about God through his holy word. There's a lot we know about God that's given to us by revelation of the Holy Spirit. But I'm here to tell you this morning, there is a whole lot more we don't know about God than we do know about God. 
one of the marvels of eternity, and we talk about this a lot here, one of the marvels of eternity is we're gonna, you're going to spend forever just plumbing. You're, you're just going to spend eternity kind of just digging and just combing through and just unveiling mystery after mystery, splendor after splendor about who God is. It's going to be kind of like this eternal onion. Every time you're just going to peel back another layer uh, as to who God is, you're going to be able to peer into another mystery about God. You're going to see something about God that you had never seen before. And you're just going to stand there with each layer that's kind of peeled back, and you're going to be stunned, and you're going to be in awe, and you're going to be wowed, and you're going to be mesmerized forever. You're just going to have these ongoing revelations of who God is. And with every revelation, the next one will be even greater. That, that's, that's eternity. I, I think that's part of what eternity is going to be like. The Apostle Paul once uttered these words in 1 Timothy 3.16. He said, by common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. There's a mystery to godliness. He was revealed in the flesh, was vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. That is part of the glory. That is part of the revelation, the greatness of God that we can describe using human language. However, I'm just here to tell you, there are revelations of God. Maybe some of you have had a few of those revelations of God. I'm just telling you, eternity, there's going to be revelations of God that are going to be beyond words to describe. There are going to be aspects to God, his nature, his character, his attributes that will just defy any kind of language. I believe there are dimensions to God that are so incredible, so awesome, that there are no words that will ever come close to describing him. I believe there are dimensions to God you won't even need words to describe. All God's going to want you to do is just experience it. Words won't be necessary because those senses that you have, you'll just be able to use those senses and you'll just experience it. Ever just experience something? That's kind of what eternity is going to be like. And Paul's saying there in 1 Timothy 3.17, he's saying God cannot be just reduced to mere human logic. I'm telling you what, if you've got a God that can be reduced to mere human logic, you don't have much of a God. We are finite, whereas God is infinite. And the finite can never, ever, no matter how long you're given, the finite can never fully understand or comprehend the infinite. It would be like trying to put all the oceans of the world inside a thimble. Now, we should try to understand all of God that we can and all that his spirit would reveal to us. But again, we just need to know we will never ever fully or completely understand all of God that there is ever. Once you fully comprehend or understand the infinite, it ceases to be infinite. God himself said in Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, he says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are not your ways. 
For as high as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And that's what we're going to do. We're just going to continue to experience the loftiness of, of God's thoughts, his ways. And we're just going to stand there marveling. Who is this God? Show me more. Tell me more. Again, there are two things the human mind can never fully understand or comprehend. One is infinity. The other is eternity. With infinity, there's no beginning. With eternity, there's no end. Yet we know that God is both infinite and eternal. He has neither beginning nor ending. Now that is simply incomprehensible because everything you and I know and experience in life has a beginning and an end. We have a beginning and an end in this life, in this human body. If you think about God, however, God has even left us clues throughout this universe, descriptive of his nature. For example, the universe is made up of space, matter, and time. Space is length, width, and height. Matter is energy, motion, and phenomena. Time is past, present, and future. We even see it in ourselves. Man is body, soul, and spirit. Likewise, God is three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons sharing the same essence. Another reason why it is so hard to comprehend the doctrine of the Trinity is because there, in reality, there's really nothing else you can compare or equate the Trinity to. Now, I've heard people make, you know, uh, certain kinds of equations uh, in that, and they, they are helpful. You know, I, I like the one, you know, where you talk about water being one substance, and yet it can manifest itself in three different ways, solid as in ice, liquid as in water, vapor as in steam. So you, it, it's the same substance, it's just three manifestations or three distinct ways that that substance uh, is formed. And so, again, it's, it's, a, it's a helpful analogy, but again, it just falls woefully, dreadfully short of really describing the Trinity. And again, one of the reasons is, is because there's just nothing that you can compare it to because God cannot be compared to anything because there is only one God. You can compare one football player with another. You can compare one singer with another. You can compare one athlete to another. But you cannot compare God to any other God because there is no other God except the one true God. Isaiah 40, 18 says, To whom then will you liken God or what likeness will you compare him to? And he should have just said, good luck coming up with that. The infinite simply will not fit into the finite. We can never fully understand the Trinity. Part of it is we just need to embrace the mystery of God. And we just need to walk in and just embrace the mystery, the beauty of that mystery of God. I like how someone once said, define the Trinity, you'll lose your mind. But deny the Trinity and you'll lose your soul. Now, the word trinity, it comes from a Latin word which literally means a group of three. Now, there is one thing that, that Jews or Muslims, Unitarians, Jehovah Witnesses agree with us on, and that is they will all say there is one God. We believe that. We hear this over and over again. 
Isaiah 45.5, it says, I am the Lord, there is no other, there is no God besides me. Verse Timothy 2.5 says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Verse Corinthians 8.4 says, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no other God but me. So we as Christians, we get that. We accept and we acknowledge God is one. Now this is where one of the arguments Muslims make against Christians, and that is they'll come back and say, well, you're kind of polytheistic. Poly being many, theistic being God, you, you kind of believe in many gods. You believe that there's more than one God. We do not believe in many gods. We are not tri-theists. We do not believe in three gods. We believe in one God who has chosen to reveal himself, manifest himself to us in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all sharing the same essence and, again, being united in thought, plan, and purpose. This is what the Bible teaches Yet the Bible also says, with that truth, there is one God. Here is also a second truth, and that is, even though there is only one God, he has chosen to reveal himself to us in three persons. Now, we see this again from the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the Hebrew word for God there is the word Elohim, which literally translated is God's. It is a plural noun in the Hebrew. It is that, that suffix, I am, in Hebrew that gives the singular noun, transforming it into a plural noun. So cherub is one angel. Cherubim are many angels. You saw that as we sang, holy, holy, holy. Cherubim and seraphim. A seraph is one angel. Seraphim, there's that I am are multiple angels. El is God, singular. Elohim literally is God's plural, more than one. Now, one of the bedrock principles uh, of Judaism is what they call the Shema, and it's found there in Deuteronomy 6, 4. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, that word in the Hebrew, it is really literally, it is an amazing, fascinating word. It means one in multiple or one as in a group. And it is conveying exactly this idea of the Trinity. In fact, think about that word. The prefix tri literally means three. Unity literally means one. Tri-unity means three in one. Now also understand that each person in the Godhead is distinct from the other persons. Okay, the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Father, the Holy Spirit is not the Father, nor the Son. And even though they are three persons in the Godhead, every one of them is a distinct person, and they all kind of function in different roles, but there still is only one God. In a sense, space is like that. Space is length, width, and height. If you want to know the total space in this room, okay, you don't add, okay, length and width and height. You multiply length, width, and height to get the size of this room. And that is the way it is with God. The triune God that we worship is not three gods, nor is he one God in three parts. He is one in essence, but three in persons, three in personalities. So the Trinity, a lot of times I hear people say, well, it's one plus one plus one. 
equals one. No, no, no. Rather, it is one times one times one equals one. That leads to a third truth. Not only is there one God, and not only is this God three persons, but each person is equally God. Now, we know that the Lord is God. 1 Kings 8.60 says, All the people of the earth may know that the Lord is God. Philippians 2.11 says, Every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Then 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, The Lord is the Spirit. So the question in your mind may be, then, Is the Lord God? Is Jesus Lord? Is the Holy Spirit Lord? And the answer is yes. Nobody disputes that the one called Father in the New Testament is God. Yet Titus 2.13 says we should be looking for the appearing of of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Interestingly, in Acts chapter 5, verses 3 through 4, Peter says to Ananias... Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Now these verses tell us that lying to God and lying to the Holy Spirit are one and the same thing because both persons are equally God. So if you were to ask the question, you know, I don't know that this game shows on anymore. Maybe it is like on some of the cable things, but they always like, you know, would have the real so-and-so please stand up. And that's the thing, you know, if you would say, okay, would the, would the, would the real God please stand up? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit would all have to stand. If you were to ask the question, who created the world? You might answer with the verse quoted just a few moments ago from Genesis 1.1. Oh, we know God created the heavens and the earth. Yet listen to Colossians 1.16. For by him, Paul is referring to Jesus, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth. All things were created through him and for him. But Job 26.13 says this, by his spirit he adorned the heavens. So who created humanity? Who created the heavens? Who created the stars and the sun? God did. That is God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Again, completely unified in thought, purpose, and plan. Now the New Testament church, Acts 2, we're we're commissioned with the mandate that that we're called to go out and and to, uh, to, to reach the unbeliever, to reach the lost, that they would come to know uh, this one and only God. The primary responsibility of the church according to Jesus Christ is he's called us to carry out that great commission, which is to go make disciples of all nations, bring people into a saving knowledge of God. Now, why is the Trinity so important? Why am I tackling this this morning? Because without the Trinity, you need to understand there would be no salvation. And no one would ever come to know God. Just in the act of salvation, each member of the Godhead plays a very vital, crucial role. And every part is necessary for salvation to be accomplished. In Ephesians 1, it's there we discover the role of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and, and the role they play in the salvation of all sinners. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verses 
3 through 4, and you'll find there, it is God who conceived of, it is God who thought of our salvation. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless. Uh, blameless before him in love. That is, salvation was in the heart, in the mind of the Father before the world ever came into existence, before you were ever created, before you were ever thought of being created, or sin came into the world, God already had a plan, a way for our salvation. Your salvation was on the mind of God before he ever created one single thing in the heavens or upon the earth. Then a little further down, Ephesians 1, 7 says, it is the Lord Jesus who bought our salvation. God thought it, Jesus bought it. It says, in him, Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. God the Son left the glories of heaven, obeying the Father. He came, offered up his life, and shed his blood by dying on the cross so you and I, we could have forgiveness of our sins. Ephesians 1.13 says, it was the Holy Spirit that wrought our salvation. God thought it, Jesus bought it, the Holy Spirit wrought it, and it says, in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. 1 Peter 1, 2 tells us the exact same thing, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. How many here this morning would like grace and peace multiplied unto them? I would. So again, we're told God selects the sinner. He says, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. He selected us. He's chosen you and I to be the recipients, to be the inheritors of salvation. Every one of us here have fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us here have sinned against God in thought, word, and deed. And yet, before you were ever created, before you ever did any of those sins in thought, word, or deed, God had already had a plan for your salvation. He selected you. We're told that Jesus saves the sinner. This is for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. And then we are told the Holy Spirit sanctifies the sinner in sanctification of the Spirit. There again, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, co-eternal, co-existent, working together, unified in thought, plan, and purpose. So what does all this have to do with you and me? Simply this, if you want to know God, you are going to have to know him in the revelation and manifestation of the Trinity. Because, folks, you cannot get to the Father without going through the Son. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Furthermore, you cannot get to the Son unless you are bought or brought there by the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in John 16, 13, he said, the Spirit of truth has come. He will guide you into all truth. The Spirit is here to reveal the Son and the Father to us. Now I've come full circle this morning to say this and I'm, I'm almost done here. Even though I have a master's degree in divinity, I've been pastoring churches now for over 20 years. I still do not comprehend 
nor fully understand the Trinity. There is more of this that is a mystery to me. And I know some of you are going to come up and you're going to start asking me other questions about the Trinity. And I will just tell you right now, but my response to you will probably be, I don't know. I wished I did, but I don't. But I'll tell you what I do know. God is a father who loves us. Jesus is a son who died for us. And God is a spirit who comforts us. And really his desire is to bring us into all truth. And while we can't understand everything concerning, concerning the Trinity, it is important that we make an effort to understand and to respond to what we can know concerning the Trinity, what it means for our lives, what it really means for the mission of our church. When we receive and believe what God has already revealed to us through his word and through his spirit regarding the Trinity, you know what? It just kind of sets you up. It kind of puts you on a foundation to receive greater and deeper truths regarding the divine Godhead. May today kind of be a step toward a greater revelation for each one of us and a foundation for greater revelations to come in the future. May it also just be a foundation upon which our church has been and will continue to be built upon. Amen? Let's stand together this morning. Father, we just thank you so much that, God, it really is your heart to reveal yourself to our spirit. That, God, it is the desire of your heart that your spirit would testify with our spirit, not just concerning our salvation, but just concerning all that you are. And so, God, this morning, we just come this morning open, we come this morning hungry. We come this morning, God, with desires to know you in greater and in deeper ways. So, Father, I would just ask this morning that regardless of where we may be at in this room, in terms of our understanding of you this morning, Father, I just pray, Lord, that this morning you would just begin to unveil as you maybe have begun here this morning through worship, through the prayer Father, as you've begun to reveal yourself, as you've just begun, again, God, this day to reveal and to peel back another layer of your being, another layer of your depth. God, as we encounter you in that, in that place of mystery, God, open our eyes, open our hearts. God, allow our spirits to come alive to your spirit, to your word, to your revelation, to your manifestations this morning. And Father, while there's a lot that we may not know about you, God, there is so much that we can know, so much you desire to show us this morning. And so, Father, I just ask, Lord, that you'll give us hungry hearts, hungry spirits in here this morning that just to desire and want to know you more and more. And Father, I just pray if there are people here this morning that don't know you as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Father, I just pray, Lord, that that would be the beginning revelation for them this morning. That, God, you love them so much that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for his blood to be shed. That their sins could be forgiven. That the slate could just be wiped clean. That they could be made right with you this morning. And, Father, I ask, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would again open their eyes to the work of the Father, the work of the Son, and the work of the cross the power of the resurrection, and that, God, through that, we can come to know forgiveness and eternal life. We thank you, Father, for the power of confession. 
That if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in our heart, God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. And so, Father, I ask this morning for any woman, man, children here this morning that do not have that revelation, God, would you open the eyes of their heart, enlighten their understanding, and God, give them that saving faith to say, I believe. Father, I also just uh, come in agreement with Jim's prayer here this morning. And Father, whatever needs there are represented here this morning, that Father, you would just begin to just release, just begin to pour out your blessings, your provisions. Father, we ask that you'll just continue to pour out more revelation as we are in the word, as we're walking in the spirit. That God, again, as Jim talked about, just our hearts becoming more and more alive unto you, Father. That is our prayer. We just thank you for all of this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.